Plundergrounds, Plundergrounds, welcome back to a brand new show. Ray's gonna take you where you didn't know you wanted to go. Fantasy and dungeon delve, science fiction, watch yourselves. Hi everybody, I am back one more time this week to talk about zines. Uh, I had purpose to talk about zines every day this week. I have done that now, or will have done that. <laughs> I actually have done that because somehow I lost the recording on this last one. I'm not sure what happened, but um, yeah, so I actually recorded this one already once, but we're going to do it again now because, you know, technology, right? Well, today we're going to look at two different zines, and um, like I said, that will finish my week of looking at zines, and it's been really great because I feel more in touch with my collection now, which means I'll probably continue this in some form. I think once a day is probably too much for you all in terms of um, your listening, what, tolerance for my voice <laughs> and my terrible mic discipline and all that, but yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll keep going at this for a little while. I also will try to keep these a little shorter. I've been saying short, but I've been going around 30 minutes, so maybe that's a little too long. Um, your feedback is welcome on that, uh, on that front. Uh, anything you want to tell me I'm doing wrong or, or could improve on, maybe is a better way to say it, and whether that's mic discipline or how long my episodes are, or the kind of things that you want to hear that I'm not covering, that would all be great. All right, so today we're going to start off with a zine called Low Life. Low Life is a digest size zine, eight and a half inches tall by five and a half inches wide. It has 36 pages, I believe. It's very uh, thick cardstock cover and even fairly thick interior paper. Um, so much so that it's it's not very bendy. Like it's actually kind of hard to flip through. I think that's okay because it's not, I don't know how much you'd flip through this. It's kind of laid out in control panel patterns so you can kind of open a, a, a in a lot of places you can open a spread and get kind of everything you need in two pages without having to flip around but uh, yeah so low life extremely well done zine uh, it's kind of a flat um, brown cover like an like an umber color cover with uh, well an interior pages as well all the pages are that kind of flat brown color and then a kind of a yellowish brown and then on top of that is laid uh, uh, kind of an off-white text and illustrations which are really cool because it's they're almost like negatives uh, being light on dark like that and then it gives you a good sense of like the underground where this zine takes place and then uh, for highlights, there's a kind of a light blue. So it's it's very well done. It's very artsy. Um, like I said, color throughout, but restricted in its colors so that it, it, it communicates a certain tone or impression that I think is quite well done. Now, I'm going to say this zine is not for everybody. Um, first of all, it's meant to be an add-on for old school style play, although I think there's very little in here other than references to the six stats that is specifically old school. Um, maybe the stats on creatures. Let me double check that. Yeah, the creatures have hit points and hit dice, uh, but they that's about it. And they'll say things like armor as scale. Um, and, and then that's really, do they have a damage on their attacks? They do, like a, they have a plus uh, here's one that has a, a swarm of 500 mason ants bites plus two uh, damage d6 so they do have those things uh, but other than that there's not much in here that's specific to D&D or old school gaming it is a zine that is all about 
all about caving, uh, tunneling, climbing, generating tunnels. I'm reading the headers here as we go. Tunnel warfare, rare items and spells, hazards, flora and fungi, and monsters related to these environments. So really it's about caving, tunneling, and climbing. And what the basic, uh, it's they're basically add-on rules. They're very detailed, very realism focused, and they will give you uh, some settings that you use to begin with. So like, let's just, we'll start with the first one, caving. You have three types of passages, uh, those that you can crawl through, those that you have to squeeze through, are those that are choke points. And uh, so it's just based on how tight they are, right? And then you have a pace, uh, by the way, this zine is not for the claustrophobic, right? <laughs> and you have a pace, which is creep half full or double, like if you're moving at full tilt. And so then based on that, uh, how fast you're moving and how tight the space is, you make a caving roll, usually on a D6. It's like a, a three and six chance or whatever to make your caving roll. If you fail your caving roll, then you roll against stats to see what happens. Now, usually you roll against con first, and if you succeed, you only suffer the effects of the next failure that you roll. Um, on a failure, all the failures are cumulative and all apply. So, you know, once you pass your con, if you pass your contest, you're only going to suffer one setback of some kind. But if you don't, past that, then everything you don't pass after that based on your strength, dex, int, wiz, charisma, uh, charisma, charisma, that's a new word, uh, charisma, w um, uh, take place. All right, so let's let's do this. Let's. I'm going to give myself a, gosh, where are my dice? I'm going to give myself a, uh, you know what, I, don't have, I can't believe it. I don't have pocket dice on me today and I don't have a die handy. Uh, they're out in my car, believe it or not, and I'm not going to go out and get them right now. So I'm just going to shout out numbers as we go here. Uh, yeah. Um, so let's say I fail my con roll, right? Um, and there are one, two, three. There's five rolls left. We're going to fail three of them, and we'll fail the second, third, and fifth roll. How about that? All right. So we pass strength. We miss dex. You make a wrong move somewhere, and uh, you make a wrong move somewhere, and have to twist around to fix it. Reverse your head to feet first. Re sorry. Let me try this again. You make a wrong move somewhere, and have to twist around to fix it. Reverse your head, feet, first direction. So if you're going feet first, you have to go head first. If you're going head first, you have to go feet first. Right. All right. Um, next one I fail is intelligence. Your gear scrapes against the passage. You lose one randomly determined piece of gear. And then uh, then I fail the last one, which is charisma. You panic and cry out. Choose D3 allies. They must roll as if they failed the caving roll too, which means that, you know, right? So you make other people panic. And that's the kind of sense of what you're getting. Like I said, it's very realistic in most places. Now, once you get into the magic items, the spells, and the creatures, you get into things that are slightly more... Um, fanciful you know so for like even in the fungi you have the blood sucker puff ball for instance um, I'm just gonna name some uh, things here in spells you have foul mouth this one's an interesting one whenever the target opens their mouth insects and vermins come pouring forth <laughs> vermin not vermins there's no plural on that that is the plural uh, sludge form slugs and stones okay under rare items you've got bastards moonshine uh, omnivore worm singing holler hammer uh, yeah, so you've got some really interesting ideas. Now, like I said, there, there's a neat little um, tunnel generation where you, it helps you generate, like, uh, I don't know, I'd say almost Jacade-style uh, pathways that are not linear, right, that they, they have some cross-referencing and such. Um, but, yeah, it, 
I say it's not for everybody, and I don't think it is. Like if it, I think the the more I look at the zine, the more I feel like it's useful, right? At first blush, I'm like, I would never go to this detail uh, about an environment like this. But my goodness, it really would be a neat session to do one that was this tense. Like if you really wanted to communicate the tight spaces of the underground, I think getting familiar with the zine could help you do that. Even if you don't use it directly, I feel like it gives you all kinds of ideas about how to portray that and um, you know when to call for roles and those sorts of things and what to do with the roles. So yeah, a clever zine, a clever zine. I'm growing to like it more the more I look at it. Let's put it that way. I still don't like the, I mean, if I'm gonna say some negatives, I still don't like how stiff it is. I. Just, I, you know, if it's going to be this stiff, just give me a hardback. <laughs> I don't know if there's enough pages in this to make a hardback. But, you know, as a zine, I want it to be more like, it feels like something I'm going to use and maybe even use up, right? I have the PDF. I could reprint it again if I need to, although this one would cost you a fortune in ink. I'm not sure how you would actually print it. I'll just read it on my iPad probably. But yeah, a really cool zine. Now, what did I miss? I missed credits, right? This is designed by Sam Sorensen, illustrated by Suren Jasinski, um, edited by Jarrett Crater. This is from 2021. I got this through Kickstarter uh, uh, Zine Quest 3. It comes with two inserts. One is kind of a, basically they're around an adventure called the Harlow House, which has basements, sub-basements, and then tunnels and caverns underneath that. Uh, there are um, maps of both the top-down view of these things and then an elevation map to show you the side view of this to, oh, I'm going to sneeze. Hang on, i got to pause the recording. Whew, you got to love a good sneeze. All right, um, allergies are bad in San Diego. That's all i got to say. But... Yeah, it's a neat little, um, I mean, it's a little adventure that you could run through to give you an idea how to run a game like this and maybe even how to map it out for yourself if you were doing one. Uh, and I, I did. I think it gives you a lot of help in that regard because you've got the, the, the way of generating maps. Is, it involved like throwing, you throw D6s onto some graph paper, right, and then make your connections and decide the tightness of those connections and whatnot. So that that is low life. Uh, you can get it. Oh, I got a link in the show notes and I had it up and I don't have it up anymore. I want to say, I know you can get it in digital form. I'm not sure it's still available in print form. Um, in the Kickstarter, I know I paid $12 for this for both print and digital, which I think is a real steal. Totally worth it. Um, I, I don't know what it is in uh, it is today. I, again, I don't know if it's available. And I think I paid shipping on top of that probably. It would be my guess. Uh, but yeah, really, really neat zine. Again, wasn't wasn't so impressed the first time I looked at it. So if you got the zine and you're kind of thinking, eh, I'd never use this, yeah, spend some time with it. Spend some time with it. it it's got, it bears discovering, right? Okay. The next scene we're going to talk about is Forking Paths, and this is issue two. Forking Paths, there's a, where's my, yeah, here it is. There's a business card. I'm shaking the zine. You can probably hear the paper rattling. There's a business card that was shoved in the zine, and it says, an eclectic game zine, analog, tabletop, live action, role-playing. So there's a, a lot to this. It's by uh, Orbius, Orbis Tertius Press in Portland, Oregon, and it doesn't have a name. I don't think it has a name on it. No, okay, here we go. All text and illustrations by Nathan Harrison, except where otherwise noted. So this is zine is by Nathan Harrison. Um, uh, by the way, on the back of this business card is a game called The Caravan. And uh, it's it's just a little narrative game, which is cool. Three to five players, a 200-word micro game. 
Three to five players' pins and note cards, so that's that's neat. I haven't read that, actually. I didn't even notice that was there the first time I grabbed the zine. All right, uh, I'm not sure where I got the zine, but I'm going to put links in the show notes. I think you can get it digitally for two bucks, which is insane, like totally worth it. Um, I, again, spoiler alert, go out and buy it. It's cool. Um, forking Pass. All right, so eight and a half uh, tall, uh, uh, five and a half wide, digest size, five and a half inches wide. Uh, fits in the hand nicely. Fairly small, 20... I'm going to say 24 pages. Yep, 24 pages. Uh, stapled in the center, of course, as most of these zines are. Uh, cardstock cover, regular paper interior, black and white throughout. The cover has some color on it, uh, but it's very subdued. It, the front has forking paths and the, the title in gold, um, a little byline about issue two, um, and then and then it has a drawing that covers probably 80% of the front cover that is uh, an isometric view of a labyrinth. And by the way, yeah, this is an aside here, but you know how sometimes you get to adulthood and you've got words that you pronounce funny or um, idiosyncrasies in your grammar that have just persisted to adulthood and no one ever told you they were weird? Probably because everybody around you when you were growing up said it the same way um, or had similar idi idiosyncrasies. But usually um, later in your life, your best friend or your spouse or somebody says, why do you say it like that? That sounds stupid. Um, well, this was my wife. She pointed out to me that I say labyrinths, labyrinths. With a with a year in the middle, like the Y R and labyrinth should be pronounced year, and uh, and she says no, it's just labyrinths, labyrinths, and I'm like really that sounds laba labyrinths, I don't know, it's like labor, I just I like the way I say it labyrinths, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to say labyrinth here. Um, somebody can tell me if there's a. a, a uh, you know, phonetic or um, etymological reason why I say labyrinth and maybe give me some justification, but pretty sure I think at the time I went and looked it up on dictionary.com and had that, you know, play the little audio file and it just said labyrinth. So we're going to say it that way. All right. Um, this book's all about labyrinths. It, it has, it's really in two parts. The first five pages is an essay um, on an overview of the classical myth of the labyrinth. And it's truly entertaining. Like I really enjoyed reading this. It's a thoughtful little essay. I'll give you one paragraph uh, that, I think, uh, that I think may sell it for you, all right? No map defeats the labyrinth, even in the classical tale. The only hope is help, a gift of yarn or thread or string spun out behind us that we might retrace our steps. What the clue, and this is spelled C-L-E-W, by the way, and that'll make sense in a minute. What the clue gives us is the power to look back, know our past decisions, and learn from mistakes with the certainty that we are not merely repeating them. In short, experience. Our modern sense of clue, C-L-U-E, comes from this same clue, C-L-E-W, meaning a ball or skein of thread, the one that Ariadne gave to Theseus. So often was that original clue, E-W, uh, invoked as a metaphor for trying to unravel life's difficult and perplexing situations. So that's cool. I didn't know that. Speaking of et etymological, right? How often do you get to say the word etymological in, in context, right? That's, that's, uh, that's a good day. <laughs> but... I didn't know that. Our modern word clue comes from the idea of the ball of yarn that you would you know, trail behind you in the labyrinth from classical Greek mythology. Super cool. And while I'm, while I'm saying that, something I missed saying about the cover, and this fits perfectly, the back cover is 
boldly minimalistic. It's nothing, uh, there's only two things on the back cover, right? So at the very bottom is Orbis Tertius Press in uh, some kind of nice, like very thin line, 20s, 1920s style font, right? About, I don't know, it's not even, it's not even as high as my pinky thumbnail, or pink, pinky thumbnail, a <laughs> pinky nail um, width wise. So really small. The rest of it is all white, except for one line art illustration right in the middle that's about the size of a nickel of a ball of yarn with a trailing uh, thread that's in the shape of like a comma, right? And I just find that super evocative. I, it's a bold choice and I applaud the minimalism there for doing that, very clever. All right, so you get through the essay, um, or you don't, you don't have to read it, but he gives you some other, other references. Um, he. Uh, not only references articles, um, things by, or sorry, stories, things by uh, uh, Jorge Luis Borges, um, Brian Evison, Umberto Eco, Mark, Dan oh, House of Leaves by Mark Danielewski, which I've never read that, but I know some things about it. Um, and then uh, he also gives you a little bit of a, um, what, a, a bibliography for games. So Life on Mars and Fall of Magic by Ross Kalman, The Quiet Year by Avery Alder, Microscope by Ben Robbins, In a Wicked Age by Vincent Baker, Penny for My Thoughts by Paul Tevis, Becoming by Brian Ingard, Polaris by Ben Lehman, and uh, a couple others, uh, Clay That Woke by Paul Sezegi. Um Yeah, really cool. A puzzle picture book, Maze by Christopher Manson. Yeah, um, this is neat. So this game... Uh, is made with a, a set of 30, uh, sorry, 52 tiles, and you can just play with a deck of cards, but if you um, get the digital version of the zine, you can just print off these card pages and cut them apart. There's uh, 12 square tiles per uh, U.S. letter-sized page, um, so that gives you, they're probably, I don't know, two and a half inches square. And on each tile is a card uh, number, suit, and a prompt, right? So let's just read a couple to give you an idea. Uh, the King of Hearts. Support is needed. With whom do you forge an alliance? And the King of Hearts is a four-way intersection. So the, the tile also has a, uh, you know, a, a node of the labyrinth, right? Um, let's see. Eight of Clubs. In dire need of help. Given or withheld? Question mark. T intersection. Uh, here's a corner, seven of hearts. What what was done becomes a major obsession, right? So you, um, you, you there's also an, an oracle for generating your protagonist. I believe you have both a, a suit for your ideal and a suit for your instinct or something like that, right? So let's, uh, yeah, so they have, the suits are back, background, distinction, flaw, hardship, and dilemma. Oh, so maybe you just draw one for each of these. Sorry, so let's just, we'll just, uh, I'm just going to go through. Um, all right, uh, seven of hearts, uh, raised by beasts. <laughs> oh, no, that's eight of hearts. Uh, seven of hearts is born physically different or marked, okay? Uh, distinction, uh, let's go with the jack of diamonds. Uh, the jack, heir to a throne. All right, flaw or hardship, uh, spades. Um, let's see, I'm not looking at the words here. I'm just going to pick a number out of my head. Uh, we're going with the deuce, all right? Consumed by ambition, and then clubs, let's go with lucky seven, right? Uh, again, so something important has been stolen, broken, or befouled. So we are, I like raised by beasts. So we're going to stick with that one. We were raised by beasts. We have, what was my next one? Oh, uh, but we're an heir to a throne. Well, huh, that's interesting. What happened there? Um, we, uh, what was the next one? I don't, I consume, oh, we're consumed by ambition, uh, probably from our, 
our uh, genetic, some, something about our kingliness is, is in our genes, right? <laughs> we don't know why we're consumed to, to better ourselves, but we are. We leave our happy state in our bare den uh, to, to, seek, um, to seek a kingship fate has prepared for us, right? And then, uh, what did I say? Lucky seven, right? Uh, something important has been stolen, broken, or befouled. Well, uh, I mean, on, on the metaphorical level, obviously our throne has been stolen, right? By uh, my evil uncle. Not that I know that yet, but uh, maybe the symbol of that kingship is the signet ring, and uh, and he's he's used it to uh, he's tainted it by sealing orders that are oppressive and uh, restrict the rights of commoners, and and there we go. That's my now. That's why I'm. That's why I'm. I have to get out of the labyrinth. Maybe I. Uh, maybe he threw me in here when I tried to challenge him or something, right? So now I lay cards and I go through, and every time there's a decision point, I, I go with the oracle on the card and and answer that. Um, you can play it multiple players or solo. Just a neat little game. I, I classy, elegant little zine for King Paz. Very cool. All right, I think that's enough for today. And I hopefully have uh, sold you on a couple more zines. I apologize to your pocketbook. Uh, buy digital if you want to keep things cheap. And uh, but then, but then you're probably going to end up buying a tablet to read them on. So that probably didn't save you any money. Uh, <laughs> support artists. Let me put it that way. Let's say it the nice way. Support artists. Don't worry about your. The, you know, these are the price of of. Uh, fancy coffee, uh, not not like you're buying a car here. Uh, so yeah, this, it's been a great week. Thank you so much for listening. Again, would love your feedback on the frequency of my podcast and the kind of things you'd like me to talk about. If listening to somebody talk about a zine is not all that interesting, let me know that as well. I realize that I'm looking at a physical product, which is more visceral for me, um, and I'm trying to describe it to you uh, uh, and you don't get to see it. So it's, it may lose something in the translation. Totally get that. Um, I will also plug a friend of mine's podcast. John Allen large has been doing a couple zine related podcasts this week. Um, he did one on knock issue one and knock issue two. Knock is a fantastic, really high production quality, um, really a book more than a zine that you can buy. And, um, I know one of the fellows, Eric Nyadan, uh, who's involved in that. I'm not sure if I said his last name correctly. Just a, a super guy. Been in conversations with him. He's invited me to participate in the zine. Uh, I am too lazy probably to get it done, but <laughs> I have an article that I want to write on weaponized words about alignment languages that I've blogged about before, but I've got it kind of condensed now into something a little more visceral that I could, well, visceral, use that word twice. Maybe I'm leaning on that a little heavy. Something a little punchier that I could that I could put in to knock, uh, and maybe I'll do that in the future. But in the meantime, if you want to read all kinds of uh, sundry articles about various things like um, how to handle level drain a different way, or um, gosh, I can't think of them off the top of my head. There's uh, like goblin quirks, like how to make all goblins unique as if they were from the movie Labyrinth. Um, I believe Fiona Geist wrote that one. I can't remember who wrote the one about the... I can't remember what I just said, my brain. Uh, okay, at any rate, go listen to John Allen Large. He'll tell you about all these things in the Nog zine. Uh, they're, they're really cool. It's a bunch of old school, uh, mostly, it's imagine like the best of old school blogs uh, thrown into a zine format with really kick-ass layout and fonts and colors to keep you excited as you read. Yeah, so again, uh, John Allen Large from The Red Dice Diaries. I believe it's in video form as well as in podcast form. Not entirely sure about that, but yeah. Uh, 
that that is one you should go listen to. Thanks again for being with me this week, and I hope to talk to you again real soon. Oh, one last thing. I forgot. All right. So the first time I recorded this, I got into kind of my picks for the week, and I picked Craig's Messer, Krieg's Messer, and um, I picked uh, uh, Blood Heist as my two favorites. And I was trying to think of why that is. I'd say the, the two have this in common. They're both complete rule sets with very simple D6 dice rolling systems. So really the zine is all you need to play along with some you know, paper and pencil and stuff. Um, both of them have a very strong sense of place and time, which I like. Um, and so with Blood Heist, it's all there in the tables. Um, and some of it's already generated for you. And what isn't generated for you, you can generate very quickly away from the table or even at the table to kind of give yourself all kinds of cool ideas to play with. With Craig's Messer, I mentioned that um, I mentioned that I would probably I just feel like I know this one more because it's an actual historical period. Although you can fancify it up any way you like, uh, but I would probably go to a, a painting. I was thinking of a painting and I was trying to guess at the name uh, of the artist and I actually got it right for a miracle. But um, it's called Hunters in the Snow by Peter Bruegel, the Elder medieval painting um, about and it shows these guys coming over a hill. Um, they're kind of black on white, right? Like they're not silhouetted, but they're dark figures on a snowy hill that are coming back from hunting and then down below is the village and stuff. So you get this kind of really strong sense of the time, and which is kind of cool. And then uh, I also mentioned the paintings or illustrations by Hogarth. I think they're engravings uh, called The Harlot's Progress and The Rake's Progress. Uh, those those kind of things is what I'd use for inspiration. They're, they're those kind of scenes like... Um, Bosch, Hieronymus Bosch has these two, but his are more like way out there, right? Have you seen these hell paintings that he does? I'm sure the Garden of Earthly Delights, those. But everywhere you look, something's happening, right? Um, there's another painting like this that it makes me think, I think it's called The Fall of Icarus, and it's this really, I don't know who did it, but uh, off the top of my head, but it's a really cool old painting, and there's a million things going on, uh, but right in the in a tiny little spot right in the center of it, you see like the legs, I think, of Icarus and a, maybe a bit of a wing or something plunging into the ocean <laughs> on fire, I think. I haven't seen this painting in years, but I just remember that. Remember how wonderful, like, the, the, the thing the painting is about is like one of the smallest things in the painting and that there's all these other things to discover. So um, I bring this up because I had already put links in the show notes, but now I've remembered another painting that, you know, that fall of Icarus that uh, I need to put in the show notes as well. So I will go find that and put links in there so you can have a look at these.